0: Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail. We're back to doing one of our instrument spotlights today and I'm joined by not one but two fantastic guests to talk about some instruments from the string family, the low string family. We have with me Tanner Menice, violist, graduate of the Colburn School and New England Conservatory, and Ben Manis. Uh, return guest on the podcast, That's right. ch- cellist and conductor, graduate of the Colburn School, Rice University, and now is the resident conductor of the Houston Grand Opera. Welcome, guys. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having us, Jacob. Fantastic to be here.
0: Yeah. So we're talking about viola and cello, respectively. And I wanted to ask some questions right off the bat. We already did an episode on the violin, but for our listeners, this series on on instrument breakdowns is supposed to give our listeners a little bit of clue as to what to listen for when they hear a piece that either features a specific instrument or an instrument in the context of the larger symphony orchestra or quartet or something like that. Let's start with you, Tanner. Uh, The viola is the higher of the two instruments. What um, might a composer be thinking when they write something for the viola, or what is the viola's kind of role in the quartet, the orchestra, what type of parts do you generally
2: play? Um, Well, first off, a number of composers did write elegies for the viola, so that might give you a clue into the sort of darker nature of its character that is evocative in the mind of composers as opposed to something a violin might inspire.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a lower instrument than the violin, we should mention that. Not much lower, but a little lower. And in quartets and or, uh, in orchestra playing, uh, what do you tend to see in,
2: in viola parts? It tends to be parts that, for the most part, connect other parts of the orchestra together. It's sort of like the glue. There are many other locations, you know, not, not quite as frequent, where the viola is featured as sort of the main melodic. Sort of solo like an instrument, but generally its its role is to sort of bring these other parts together, sort of stew the pot.
0: Yeah, I, I
2: I would agree with that. It's
0: it often plays accompanimental roles, but also a lot of melodies for the viola and a lot of uh, especially in the quartet, certainly an, an equal equally important part to any of the others. So, Ben cello. Um, maybe a couple more melodies than the viola, but what what when a when a composer writes for the cello, what are they thinking?
1: Uh, well, they're probably thinking, "Wow, I want this to sound amazing, so
0: I'm gonna <laughs> write it for cello." I think cello. I think you'd be right in a lot of people's favorite instrument. It is Adams, a lot of people's favorite the instrument. A yeah. lot
1: of people say that because they think the cello sounds more like the human voice than other instruments because of because of the register, because of the sort of depth of the instrument, and um, I think a lot of the th- things that composers write for it that are most successful are when they actually sort of go for the vocal qualities of the instrument, the sort of longer lines, um, really kind of singing, playing.
0: So what do you see in standard cello parts? I feel like there's, there's more of a mix. Um...
1: Yeah, there is, because especially in a string quartet, You know, the cello's role most of the time in a lot of the standard rep is to just, you know, sort of play bass lines. Um, And especially sort of the farther back you go, the more that tends to be true, although it is by no means always true. Um, So you do find even, you know, in Mozart quartets, like his last three quartets um, have great, uh, beautiful cello melodies. Um, But, you know, it is true even for those great ones. For most of the quartets, you are still just playing bass line.
0: Right which is actually an interesting point. So you, you mentioned, I mean now the cello plays a lot of melodies, occasionally it'll it'll be have an accompanimental role. Talk a little bit, maybe Tanner, you can talk first about uh, as we go through various eras of music, what's the what's the evolution of your instrument? where Where do you find music that you like playing best as a violist? Do you have a lot of, Baroque music in your repertoire.
2: Um, talk a little bit about yeah. Well, so that's that's a very interesting question. Um, and one, one, I almost have to ask, ask you what kind of viola. Now, the modern viola we play, the bulk of the solo repertoire and pieces you would hear that would feature the instrument would have been written Romantic period and, and later for the most part. There, there's a few classical concerti and stuff that are played and some baroque pieces, but the baroque it's repertoire, a lot of it is. Not necessarily written for the viola that we could see today. It would be written for a viola de gamba, viola de braccia. There's so many different kinds of viola, viola de more, that just aren't as widespread anymore. Um, so we take a lot of that repertoire and play it on our own instruments. Yeah. Um and there are those who do specialize in all these uh, instruments that that are much less widespread these days, and you can find recordings and, and it's really cool to explore that. So Ben, how about you, uh,
0: for cello, talk a little bit about the the evolution of the instrument over time.
1: So, I mean, we do have some great Baroque repertoire, the most important of which is the six cello suites that were written by J.S. Bach, um, which violists also play. Uh, that's probably some of their best Baroque repertoire <laughs> as well, even though it is not their repertoire. Um, but yeah, it was really sort of in the middle of the of the 19th century that the cello sort of came into its own as a... Um, as a vehicle for, for real solo instrument. Um, and you start getting solo concerti, uh, Dvorak, Schumann, and others, um, whereas really the only sort of standard Baroque or early classical concerti that are still in the, in the you know, common repertoire um, are the two by Haydn. Um, and so it's in the middle of the 19th century that that sort of really opens up um, and the cello starts getting used as it should be.
0: Yeah, but I think in both cases for these instruments, more than an instrument like the violin, um, the violin has enormous amounts of, of Baroque repertoire written specifically for it. There are six Bach uh, partitas and sonatas for the violin, um, but also it was the preferred instrument, I think, of Vivaldi, Corelli, all these composers wrote a bunch for the violin, but now I'd say in, in a string quartet setting and certainly in the orchestra, uh, all the string instruments have have their own unique role. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you're both obviously very accomplished musicians, and if a listener comes, and let's say a listener comes to a solo recital for a violist or cellist, what as a experienced violist are some of the things that you listen for in good viola players that distinguish them from not as great viola players, and if there's stuff specific to the viola, that's great, but also, I, know, I mean, string playing is, is uh, something that shares a lot of similarities, but what do, you, what do you work on in your own practice room to get better at, and what do you listen
2: for in, in great viola players? So looking for uh, the elements of great viola players or a great viola performance, Um, To take it on the macro first, just to be a great viola player, obviously, like we talked about the role of the viola in a lot of orchestra music and string quartets and stuff. um, You have to be able to collaborate well and always be able to sort of, while you're playing your own instrument and part, really have your ear out to everything that's happening, to what's going on. Then of course you have to be able to play, you know, with a lush, beautiful, resonant sound, very well in tune and good rhythm, um, and you have to be able to really, you know, pull out that that big sound, that solo sound to sort of show when your role switches. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the cards you're dealing with as a VL player. Um, Going to a great viola solo performance, on the other hand, you're going to see a wide variety of styles of music play. A lot of it's going to be contemporary, so you want to also be able to to understand music from the whole gamut of, of, of the literature, from Baroque all the way through stuff composed in the last decade. Um, we have much less re- repertoire, so as a violinist or cellist, one might mainly play just one sort of small period of time of music as, as, as a professional, you might, you might have a period of music that you play way more than everything else. I think as a violist, if you're doing it as a, you know, playing solo performances and stuff, you're going to have to be able to play everything because there's just not enough of one period of time to just be like, yeah, I only play, you know, turn of the 20th century French and English music. Right, right. That's what I do. Yeah. So... No, that makes sense.
0: Do you feel like, I also wonder, because I think um, a lot of people switch from the violin to the viola, and I think a lot of people find that it's harder to make a good sound on the viola. Do you feel that sound quality uh, is a is thing that you have to work on constantly, and really good viola players get
2: this great sound quality? Yeah, that's, that's definitely like trying to find that sound quality. and I think it also comes down to the sort of idiosyncrasies of the instrument itself. Like violas vary from viola to viola in measurement and dimension and character a lot a, a lot more than maybe maybe violins, cellos a little more than violins, but violas maybe the more than most. Change mm-hmm. the proportions of the lengths of the instrument. No one really knows how to make the ideal viola. Because mm-hmm. of the viola for its registral timbre, it would need to be much larger than we could physically hold under our neck. So That means that anyone creating a viola is going to have to make some tough decisions. Give up something to try and gain something else. And so then you are presented with this wide array of, you know, weirdly concocted beasts. Some of them are just... They've tried all sorts of weird shapings that have amorphous amorphous blobs sticking out of the instrument. Everyone's tried... Yeah, there's, like, weird, like, sort of butt violas that have a butt that (laughs) around, like... Like instead of the end of it where your neck goes being rounded, it's more like, like a two rounded sort of bouts coming together where your neck goes. So huh. it the people have tried to sort of cheat the system in all sort of different ways, and so that kind of is analogous to the players that approach these instruments. You, you know, know, that's that's really I had actually never heard it phrased
0: that way, which which I I had never really thought about the idea that. Um, Based on the register of the viola, it can't actually fit. Like, because the violin fits perfectly, but that makes so much sense. And like you said, I mean, to go to the cello now, as it relates, maybe if we think about the double bass, I think the violin viola and the cello double bass kind of dichotomy is very similar because the double bass also is a very hard instrument to get a really great sound on.
1: Yeah, and basses come in all shapes and sizes. And they too.
0: do. And cello is very standardized and I mean I'd ask you the same question that I asked Tanner what do you practice as a cellist but I would venture to say in my experience cello is one of the instruments I mean all string instruments are hard but maybe the instrument in the string family that's that most people seem to be able to produce a pretty good sound on
1: well I would You're not sure? I'm not <laughs> sure about that uh, have
0: you heard a beginning violin player I have, I have you, was have one, you heard a beginning violin one, viol- player <laughs> No, but um, but what do you practice yeah, as I mean, a cellist?
1: Well, it, it so sort of, it sort of depends, as Tanner was saying. I mean, our role can vary so much. So I think the most important thing for a string for a string quartet cellist is sort of finding that versatility, because a lot of the time you're going to be called on to be the double bass player of the group, and you have to you know know how to how to work with your bass line within what's going on, how to sort of create a specific sound that will then support the rest of the group. But also there are times when you're the solo instrument, times when, you know, you might switch with the viola and the viola plays lower than you and now you're an inner voice and you have to, you know, figure out how to play with the second violinist like that. Um, And so I think that's part of what makes quartet playing so interesting as a cellist, is that variety. Um, But then as a soloist, you know, the things you have to practice are I think really mostly the same as the things you'd have to practice as a violin or viola soloist, you know, it's a lot of technical playing. You know, playing in tune is really hard. That's something we all have practiced every day of our entire lives. Um, As we've learned
0: in our quartet rehearsals, I mean, some people can't really still seem to do it. Yeah, we have Like the cellist in the quartet. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason
1: we're recording this podcast is we have a quartet concert tomorrow that we're all playing in. Yeah. And Jacob's playing first, violin, and You know, I, I wish he had actually spent more time learning how to play in tune before he shut up for these rehearsals.
0: It's funny because you were mentioning, like versatility is required as a, che- a quartet cellist and that's just not the word that came to mind when i was thinking about <laughs> your playing well it's a good thing
1: i'm not a professional cellist. So. <laughs> <laughs> well same for me yeah. i think
0: tanner tanner can probably uh you know he's the only one who's a legit musician here that's who's right. actually playing and brian our, our other violinist. so couple couple more questions these are, are are quicker ones but for our listeners who are uh our listeners always want suggestions, mm-hmm. and so there's a limited... Tell us a little bit about the selection of concerto repertoire that you have for the viola, and I'm curious
2: if you have a, a favorite. But the, the selection. All right, well, so... Sorry. <laughs> <the, laughs> I mean, there's a... there. The, let's be real. There's what a, selection? There's a
0: very limited number of viola concertos that we standardly encounter.
2: Yes, Um. and for any concerto that you play there's generally a great player and a great story behind it so there's generally some player and some fantastic composer happened to cross paths and that inspired that person to take on the monumental task of writing out a solo and orchestral part for this amazing idea so uh much of that didn't really happen for viola until the 20th century Mm -hmm. so most of our concerto you know your your bartok your walton your hindemith um, there's some nice English type, you know, like there's Bowen and Britten, uh, but, uh, what I have to say is my personal favorite concerto, and it, it's, it's just one of the best pieces ever written. It's this it's the Mozart Symphonia Concertante, which uh-huh. is technically a double concerto, but uh, for violin it's and so
1: viola and, of you to pick a half violin concerto as your favorite. It is,
2: name. but it's just, it's such a joyous gorgeous piece and it just goes so many amazing places it's just like a journey um i
0: absolutely love that choice i am of the opinion that that might be mozart's single best piece he ever composed
2: Um, and the cellists don't have a single uh concerto or sonata by wolfgang amadeus mozart yeah so it's true that's rough it's the only answer i could really give that 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 couldn't be matched i think that's a phenomenal
0: but i think for all of our listeners they should go and listen to that piece What I love about, one of the, it's like the most quintessential Mozart genius is there's this big orchestral tutti to start the whole piece, and then the viola and the violin both enter on this one long held note, and they just like, they come out of nowhere, like they aren't even the soloists, and then suddenly, whoa, there's two soloists just playing a concerto. It's, It's, yeah, I've played it and conducted it, and it's just super fun. Excellent choice. What about the Bartok?
2: Oh, I love the Bartok. Um, I mean, that's an interesting beast because Bartok himself didn't get to finish it. He uh, was, I think, dying of cancer at the time. It was That, in that the, sounds right. Yeah. The, uh, mid-1940s, and he actually took the commission a few years before his death from the very famous violist William Primrose, a Scottish violist, uh, did a lot for um, uh, sort of making the viola's presence in the solo world more widespread. Um, and he kept pestering Bartok because, you know, time when he was like, so you're going to, you know, get this commission. And then Bartok ended up passing away before he could finish and piece the whole thing together. He finished Concerto for Orchestra and some other yeah. really important pieces, Double double Piano Concerto mm-hmm. at that time, um, but didn't get around to the viola concerto. just had all these separate pieces. So then, uh, I think it was one of his family members who <laughs> approached his good friend and student, Kodai, a very famous... Uh, Hungarian uh ethnologist and composer as we know um and Kodai would like looked at this fragments he's like I can't do anything with this like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make this into a piece. so they actually then got one of his other lesser known students who very uh was nice to put it together for us uh Tibor Shirley huh. or Surly as some people say um and I then, had no idea. I had no idea that Kodai looked at it and, and couldn't... That's surprising. He just, yeah. just chose not, yeah. That's um, fascinating. So, yeah, this guy took, you know, his, his he sewed up the pieces together into tapestry, and some people might argue that some choices were not the best. And so there yeah. are other editions that have since then come out. Um, but they bear remarkable resemblance to that first edition. Yeah, that, yeah. That he came
0: out. That's super interesting. I didn't know that. So, Ben, you have a little larger selection as a cellist. Any favorite concertos?
1: Um, Sure. We have a couple. We have a few sort of romantic powerhouses. The big Dvorak concerto, of course. The Elgar concerto, the sort of iconic Elgar concerto recording with Jacqueline Dupre uh, playing cello. Um, But then, actually, similar to viola, uh, we had a cellist in the 20th century who was responsible for uh, a huge amount of cello repertoire. And that was Mrs. Slav Rostropovich, who was a Soviet cellist um, who had relationships with an, an enormous number of composers throughout the 20th century uh, and, and commissioned from them many, many, many cello pieces which have since entered the repertoire. For instance, uh, the Shostakovich Concerti, the Prokofiev uh, Sinfonia Concertante, and the, the Ludoslavsky cello concerto, a great piece. Uh, that is a and, very good piece. And many more. Uh, so
0: if you had to pick, I mean, Dvorak is, I think, the obvious choice, but outside of Dvorak, which everyone, uh, you know, the story is often told that Brahms heard the Dvorak cello concerto and was so impressed that he didn't write one himself. Yeah. So you do have the Brahms double concerto, like like the Old Symphony Symphonia time. but if we you do. had to pick, pick one outside of the, thing, sorry. yeah, no, it's not. If you had to pick one outside of Dvorak, what would you choose? Um...
1: Yeah, I love a, I love a lot of them. Um,
0: That's not
2: the game we're playing here, though. <laughs> I
1: know I, I, it's a hard question.
2: His answer is Baccherini.: Yeah, Boccherini. Oh yes,
1: the famous Baccarini. Or... Concerto Number Four Hundred and Thirty Six. <laughs> um, I do love I do love the Ludoslavsky. I'm I'm biased because I have played it. Uh huh. Um, but I just think it's a it's a great great piece that is both contemporary and accessible. And uses the instrument in all sorts of new and imaginative ways that really work well.
0: Yeah, I think it would be a cool one for our listeners to go check out the Ludoslavsky Concerto because, as you mentioned, it is—it'll feel very modern. It starts with like these a hundred repeated D's over and over, and then there's like chaos that ensues. But I think, like you said, it's a great piece, accessible, and the Shostakovich First Concerto is also a great piece. Yeah. I'd I'd personally encourage our listeners to stay away from the Prokofiev Symphonia Concertante. Leaves a little something to be desired. It's fun. It's It's not. It's
1: not. I wouldn't call it profound art.
0: Yeah. It's. It's it's not his best piece. piece. Okay. One more. One more quick one. Uh, Well, two more. Sonata or other solo piece for viola and piano that you would recommend, and chamber piece that features the viola that you would recommend. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot, Tanner. But
2: yeah, I, mean, uh, I wish you would have told me these questions beforehand. There's, there's a lot to consider. No, here, but this know. is,
0: we're going for uh, gut
2: reaction first thing that comes to mind. Gut reaction, first thing that comes to mind. Well, I would encourage anyone to check out the Shostakovich viola sonata. Uh, it was actually the last thing he wrote. Like many composers, they decided to try their hand at viola <laughs> composition right before they died, or vice versa. They decided <laughs> so to they write for viola and then, and then the powers that be decided that those who made that decision did not deserve to continue living and that yeah, after writing these viola that pieces, they, right. they should they should kick the can. Um, but that was indeed the last thing he wrote. And it has famously in the last movement uh, just... References all over the place to Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, huh. um, just the motive that is the whole piece. Right, right. So it's a, uh, it, yeah, I I would check it out. It has everything. It has bu- the bu- the sort of bombast, the sort of Soviet bombast that Shostakovich sort of satirically could be known for, and it has also this really deep inward looking sort of darkness and, and 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 a philosophical searching and longing. Um so it's got it's got it all. It's got some nice dances too, you know, if you like some rustic Russian dances. Yeah, I love that choice. Let's while you think about
0: your chamber piece, Ben, cello sonata that you would, that that's your single favorite. Don't choose the Shostakovich cello sonata. I'm not going to choose the <laughs> that is a really good piece. That's
1: a good piece. I would say two cello sonatas that I love. Okay. Um, One of them, because it's not really a cello sonata. It's the Rachmaninoff Sonata. The reason I say it's not really a sonata is because the piano part for that piece, as most Rachmaninoff pieces, is both more important and about 50 times more difficult than the cello (laughs) part. But it is a great, great, great piece. Um, I also love the second Brahms sonata, the one in F major. No,
2: Beethoven. You're not going to mention any of the
1: Beethoven sonatas or the variations even? No. They're great. They're great. But when I think of a piece that really, sh- you know, shows the cello in, in the brightest light, I think that uh, that second Brahms, the F major sonata, yeah. is fantastic. I think
0: that's a good choice. If you're going with a Beethoven, I assume you're choosing number three. I would actually,
1: four. I like, I don't know, I like all the last three. Yeah. Three, four, five. The fugue movement of the, of the fifth one, the D major one, is is fantastic. But I think that's, it's more, that's great because it's just great music. It's not great because it's a great use of the cello as an instrument. Yeah,
0: right, right. I can see that. Okay, how about chamber piece? Any chamber pieces that highlight
2: the viola that come to mind? Chamber pieces that highlight the viola. Yeah. Um, one chamber ensemble that I do very much like um, that you, your listeners may or may not have heard much is the, the combination of flute, viola, and harp. Mm-hmm. And there's a handful of great repertoire for this. The most well-known of them is, is uh, by Debussy. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that was once again a story of a composer approaching, composing for the viola, and then shortly thereafter passing away. He was going to <laughs> publish a collection of sonatas that uh, for flute, viola, harp, and then one for each of those instruments. Wow. So he, he did the one for you know, the combination of all all the instruments, and then he never got around to the viola one before he he passed shortly there. I had no idea. What is that piece called again? I've heard it several, is it just... It's called Sonata for Flute, flute, Viola, and Harp. That is a really good piece. But in French. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) But
0: our our listeners can search for Debussy, Flute, Viola, and Harp, and they can probably take away from this podcast, if nothing else, like, if you're feeling a little unhealthy, don't start writing for the viola. I feel like that's that that seems to be a a harbinger of them. So Ben, uh, cello highlighting chamber piece. I was
1: actually about to use that word harbinger, but I wasn't sure if it was harbinger or harbinger.
0: Uh, I think it's harbinger. That I think there's an R in there.
2: Harbinger, and I think that's. (laughs) There's no way that's right. We'll check it afterwards. Okay. It just rolls out the tongue easier though. Arbinger. I think I think Jacobs right. Okay. I, I
0: think I um, thought for a long time it was harbringer. Like it's like it's a I bringer do think there's of doom. An R
2: after that. Oh wait, he's serious about the R. No, I don't think there's that R there either.
0: Um, we can look this up on the air.
1: Let's do it. This is what the people need to know.
0: It is not harbringer. <laughs> it is har harbinger harbinger harbinger
2: harbinger. harbinger. So you've been binging horror rather than bringing it home with you? Harbinger. Harbinger. All it's right. a harbinger of doom.
1: I'm glad we sorted that out. Okay, so um, all I of our listeners say, learned that
0: today. Yeah. This, uh, if this, nothing this else. Is, yeah. Um, cello piece.
1: Um, this is not a specific cello piece. I've always loved playing any of the Bartok quartets. Uh-huh. And the reason for that is because as a cellist, you know, people say all the time about how the four instruments in a string quartet are all equal. Yeah. But cellists, we don't usually feel that way. Uh-huh. We don't usually feel like we're equal. We feel like the runt of the litter. and uh, But in the Bartok Quartets, we really are equal. The way he writes is so, uh, so spread out. Um, the parts are so evenly matched, so evenly difficult and important. Um, and that's really fun as a cellist, to be part of that.
0: Not the Sh- Schubert cello quintet. I feel like that's the most standard answer I to this question. I, I think that's
1: one of the more overrated pieces of classical music.
0: I actually, mm, I could maybe get yeah. on board with I that. I think it's a good piece, yeah. But some people think it's, it's like, not the best piece not not ever best. composed. Like
2: if you had leaderboards that came up every year with number of times a piece is composed, like sorry, performed in the world, like, yeah. When, like for chamber music, like number one or number two might just be Schubert cello quintet. Like totally. It's performed like just that much. And it's and it's, it's amazing, but like we've heard, we've all heard and read and played the piece S- like I don't, so many times. I
1: don't even enjoy like if there's a sight reading party that I'm at and there's like two cellos and someone always suggests reading Schubert I don't even want to. At yeah, I no, I, to. I, I, I'm in I the same situation yeah.
2: now. It's yeah. I mean, I, I love it, but at the same time, it's just like I've had a lot. And when you read it, you're committing to about a 45-minute yes. Yes. chunk of a read. And,
1: and God forbid if someone wants to take the repeat in the first movement. Yeah. And he
2: doesn't write rests. So yeah. you can get very tired, tired, too. You're just always playing, you know. It's, it's like the yeah, Ninth Symphony, the, exactly. which
0: Schumann said had heavenly length, yeah. but is almost it's an hour long. Heavenly
1: if you want to go to heaven. Maybe. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well... Listen, guys, it's been great. We uh, are recording this at Friday at 3 p.m. Yeah. And we still don't know who's won the election. Yeah. It's uh, insane times. I've but, watched
1: more CNN in the last 72 hours than in my entire life, Yeah,
0: we're impressed that John King is still alive. Maybe he's going to write a viola sonata soon and just kick the can. But uh, listen, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, hope our listeners have enjoyed this. They learned, they learned the pronunciation of... Uh, Arbinger. We're going with that for now. Again, guys, thanks for joining me, and we will see you soon.
1: Thanks, Jacob.